Thank you, Justin, so much. Heidi, pleasure to have you at Community Alliance today. I get to hear this twice. <laughs> You're welcome to come back. But I get to hear this twice and be a part of it twice. I love Sunday morning. Every reference I checked said three things about him. Unbelievably talented. Incredibly genuine. And loves people like crazy. Those are all good things. Elders asked me the other night, how are you doing? And I said, to be really honest with you, once we know where we're going next with worship pastor, I'll be doing a lot better. <laughs> a lot better. Last Sunday morning, we began a new section of Scripture. We're in James chapter 1. We're going to probably spend the next three weeks, then take a break, Thanksgiving weekend, and then go into chapter 2 in December. It's going to tie into the Christmas, obviously, story, and you'll see that in a few weeks when we get there. Last Sunday morning, we started this new section of Scripture that talked to us about the power of the Word of God. We talked about not only the power of the Word of God, but our response to the Word of God and what that looks like. We notice that the Word of God has the power to give us life, literally to bring us from death to life. It's where every one of us were. Ephesians very clearly tells us, very honestly tells us, every single one of you outside of Christ was dead in your trespasses and sin. And by the power of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2 goes on to say, He raised us to life. Imagine in your mind what it must have been like for the Chilean miners to, for the first 17 days, not know if anyone knew where they were. Everyone assumed they were dead. And then for the next number of days to obviously know they were alive and then whether or not we would get out of that. Put yourself in the place of a Chilean wife, of one of the miners' wives, who believed for at least the first 17 days her husband was dead. Now, every one of you, I'm sure, at some point or the other may have seen something about it. My wife and I were riveted to the TV during the entire rescue, just watching them come up at one at a time and hear their story. But imagine what it must have been like for them to be in that kind of situation for 17 days to have been presumed dead, then all of a sudden to recognize that they're alive, and now all of this waiting period until they're finally there. Will they make it? What will happen? And then all of a sudden, out of that cone comes this tube-like thing, and the miner walks out, and you see the celebration that took place. I loved every one of their, every one's celebration was different, one on his knees, another one raising a cheer. Imagine when they would have ever, or maybe if ever, read a section of Scripture like this. I was dead, but now I'm alive. If you're in a situation like that, you take life very wonderfully now. You certainly don't take life for granted. If any of you have ever been on the edge of death and then all of a sudden brought to life, you never after that point take life for granted. Same spiritually. Never take your spiritual transformation for granted. You and I, outside of Jesus Christ, have absolutely no hope. None. But Jesus Christ, because of what he did on the cross, what we're going to celebrate at Christmas and Easter, raised us from the dead and gives us life. That is amazing. As wonderful as it was to watch them come up out of that mind, every single one of us ought to celebrate just the same when we recognize that outside of Christ we have no hope, we were dead, but in Jesus Christ we're brought back to life. That's what Scripture says it has the power to do. Romans says that the Word of God has the power to generate faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Psalm 119 says that the Word of God has the power to keep me from sinning. 
I've planted your word in my heart. I've embedded it into my heart. And when I do that, or when I come to that point of temptation, James already said, now don't blame God. When I come to that point of temptation, the word of God that is so saturated into my life or comes flooding back into my life reminds me that I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that direction. It keeps me from sitting. Peter said it has the power to grow us up spiritually mature people. Hebrews says that it has the power to look deep inside you. That the Word of God has the power to open you up, to look deep inside you, to see who you really are, not who you say you are, or who you project you are, but who you really are, to look down deep inside your soul and tell what's really going on inside. Word of God is more than a book we study. It is the breath of God, the ultimate source of truth and life. Sermons, when correctly dealing with the Word of God and infused by the Spirit of God, are more than speeches or talks. Their life. They have the power and the opportunity when infused by the Spirit and correctly dividing the Word of God to literally change a life. The Word of God is alive and it is active. It has the power to teach, to correct, to train fully, prepare men and women of faith in every good work. Now for that reason and a hundred other reasons, we spend a lot of time in the Word of God. And as long as I'm here, we'll make no excuses for that. We will be in the Word of God. It's one of the reasons we go through it so specifically and in detail, because it has the power to do all of that and more. Now, the question we asked last Sunday morning is this. Knowing all of that about the Word of God, and it has the power to do all of those things, what do I do when the Word of God confronts my lifestyle and challenges my thinking? How do I respond when the Word of God, that has the power to do all that and more, challenges my lifestyle and confronts my thinking. What do I do? How do I respond? James gives us two answers to that. Now, we're staying here. Obviously, we could answer that question in a hundred other texts. We're staying in James chapter 1, verse 18. Not only does it have the power to give you life, verse 19, now that I know that, this is how I respond to the Word of God. James 1, verse 19. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. When the Word of God comes at me and confronts my lifestyle or challenges my thinking, James said, this is the advice that I'm giving you when that happens. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to react. Because it's God speaking. And so I want to listen. Ever been in a conversation when no one lets you finish what it is you want to say? They answer the question for you or they make the statement for you or they finish the sentence for you. Now, the longer you're married, you do that with each other, right? And most of the time, you get it correct, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or not, yeah. Or not. But you know how frustrating it is when you're you're trying to have a conversation with somebody and they don't let you finish. They they don't let you talk. You just want to share, and, and vice versa. You just want them to listen. James said, listen, when you're confronted with the Word of God and it comes in, to your life, I'm going to give you some advice. Listen. Don't respond. Don't react. Don't get angry. Don't get frustrated. How dare you challenge my thinking? How dare you challenge my lifestyle? Listen. It has the power to change life, so I want to listen carefully. The question I want to explore this morning, the first one is, how do I respond when the Word of God challenges my thinking and confronts my lifestyle? The second question that I want to ask, very similar, but what do I do? When the Word of God 
challenges my thinking and confronts my lifestyle. James has an answer there too. Look at it in verse 22. James 1, it's right after Peter in Hebrews. James 1, verse 1. Between Peter and Hebrews, I'm sorry. Do not merely listen to the word. As powerful it is to listen. So deceive yourselves, do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. As important as it is to hear the word of God, you've got to go further than that. You've got to be obedient to what it is you've heard him say. Look at what he continues to say. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it said is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he is blessed in what he does. Next Sunday morning, we'll talk a lot about those last two verses. Now, I'm sure, as I said to you last Sunday morning, you've all heard the phrase when raising your children, that rules without relationship equals rebellion. If all you have is a list of rules that they have to follow, but there's no relationship with that, there's a lot of rebellion that usually comes with that. A lot of kids that grow up in that confined home, when they finally have the opportunity to get out on their own, do what? Go crazy. All the things that I couldn't do or didn't do or wasn't allowed to do, now I want to experiment with. Had no relationship with her mom or her dad, so now there's all these things going in different directions. In this context here, information, be it even the Word of God, without transformation, James said, is delusion. Information without it changing you, without transformation, is delusion. So deluding yourself. If the information you see and receive from the Word of God doesn't translate into a changed life, then you'd be deceived into thinking you're okay. James says information without transformation is deception because you're deceiving yourself thinking you're okay. Information has to go beyond hearing to have value. I'll finish by saying last Sunday morning, if you had high blood pressure or were overweight or you needed some exercise for a variety of reasons to help your health and you went to the internet or went to a class, you can go to the internet today and find out more than you probably want to know. You get all this information, you download it, go to the doctor, go to whoever you need to go to, and you get all that information but do absolutely nothing with what it is that you now know. You know what? You'll still have high blood pressure. You'll still be overweight, and you will still be unfit for life, and you will probably die. So if you're going to get all the information about what it is that I need to do, you need to do something about that information. This is the cartoon that I have in my office to remind me what fits your busy schedule better, exercising one hour a day or being dead 24 hours a day? <laughs> I don't know. That's not hard to decide. So if I have all this information about what's going to happen to my body, if I don't do this, then I'm going to want to do some of those things. Same with the Word of God. If I indeed have all this information and I don't do anything with what I know, it loses its power to literally transform or change my life. How many of you play sports of any kind or the other? Four of you. Somehow you ought to get out there and exercise just a little bit. <laughs> For those of you who play sports in any form or the other, it doesn't matter whether it's regular sports or, or intramural sports or just some fun on the weekend or turkey bowl coming up for our church. When, when you play sports, the one thing you want to know is all the fundamentals, right? You want to know how you do what you're supposed to do. It doesn't matter what sport it is. I went to the knock game the other night. Those kids are really doing well. But they're doing well because they got the fundamentals right. So when I'm the quarterback, I need to know exactly how to hold the ball and that 
coach, whoever he may be, is going to tell me where you put your fingers, where you put your hand. How many remember who did this? Had it at the very end? Terry Bradshaw used to have his at the end. Others do it here. doesn't matter as long as you get the fundamentals right. If you're the running back, they're going to teach you exactly how to hold the ball. Not out here somewhere so somebody can knock it out, but to tuck it under. They're going to teach you every fundamental you need to know about that. If I were a baseball player and I called Matt up here this morning, Matt Clement, which, by the way, I have a Matt Clement signed baseball. (laughs) And I were to bring Matt up here this morning and I were to say to him, Matt, I want you to teach me how to pitch. He's going to tell me exactly how to hold the ball if I want to do a spinner or a slider or a curveball. He's going to tell me what to do with my wrist and how to turn it and how to switch it. And I'm not going to do the game well if I don't know the fundamentals, if I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do, especially if I'm the pitcher. I may end up killing somebody. I didn't play any sports in high school because we went on a dairy farm. And Dad says, when you go to college, I'll help you pay through your college way, but you've got to work on a farm. You go to college, you can play any sport you want to. Believe me, when I landed on Nyack campus, I applied for everything. <laughs> Believe it or not, made the baseball team. Never had organized sports in high school, made the baseball team. Traveled to Boca Raton, did a, you know, a tournament in the spring. And that was just awesome. Had more fun in my life. The scrimmage, day, one, scrimmage game one day, the coach said to me, why don't you pitch for an inning and just enjoy it? Because I, I could pitch fast, I could throw hard. Why don't you pitch for an inning and see if you can enjoy it? So I did. Third batter up. He came up to me and said, you need to go back to the outfield. You're going to kill somebody. <laughs> I had zero fundamentals. If you're golfing, how funny is this that I actually have a golf club? Isn't this, Ted, isn't this what you do? Don't you hook your fingers in somewhere? See, I knew that. All right? If you're golfing, you've got to have all the fundamentals down right. You've got to know how to hook your fingers. You've got to know how to stand. But Bob took me out one day to this driving range down here, and he said, it's not a baseball bat. I said, but it is, I can hit it further that way. And, and, and I actually hit that 300-yard sign out there. No, I didn't. (laughs) It it doesn't matter what game it is or what sport it is. You've got to know the fundamentals to do it right. But this is the deal. If all you did was the fundamentals, if all you did in regards to that sport, whatever one it was, was sat in a dugout or sat in the playroom or wherever that may be and just learned the fundamentals and never played the game, would it be just as much fun? No, the fun comes when you want to play it. You've got to know the fundamentals, but you want to play it. You want to enjoy it. You want to do what it is you've just learned. That's when the enjoyment of the sport comes, when I'm now doing what I've learned how to do. I told you I shoot trap on Tuesday night, every other Tuesday night now because of my schedule in the fall, and I love those guys. They took me under their wing. They found out after a few weeks who I was. And they took me under their wing and they taught me all the fundamentals, how to hold, how to aim, what to look at, all of those things. How to go through the pattern and where to stand with your feet and all those things. And I listened, man, I was, I was a listener. But the fun came when I became the doer. And I was actually hitting them. I mean, the day when I hit 24 out of 25, I'm jumping up and down. They thought I had a problem. I didn't care. I hit 24 out of 25 trap, man. I was just jumping up and down, screaming and hollering and all these kind of things. They looked at me like I was an idiot, which most people do anyhow. But I enjoyed the moment because now after all of the listening, I, proceed, I put it into doing or practicing and it's enjoying. I'm enjoying the sport. I'm enjoying the game. I'm enjoying all the aspects of it. 
Information without transformation, without taking from what I know into what I now do, changes everything. And if you don't do that, it loses the essence. No matter how many of the fundamentals you know, if I don't transport it or translate it into doing the activity, I lose the fun and enjoyment of life or that particular event. Back to the text. Interesting analogy between the difference of hearing and doing is the concept somebody shared with me a couple of months ago about auditing a, auditing a class. Any of you ever do that? Where you audit a class? Essentially means this. You don't have to pay the regular fee. You go to the class. You take the notes. You hear all the information. You don't have to take the tests or write any of the papers. Now, most of us think, that sounds good. I'll sign up for that. You may gain a lot of information that way, but in the long run, it really didn't matter if the information changed your behavior or changed your life in any way at all. Those who are regulars in the class who paid for the course are really engaged in the material, and they really want to apply the information that they're learning. They want to take all of this information and apply it to real life. If you're not careful, we can do that with the Word of God. We can hear all the information but not do a thing with it. And in that, it has no value. Jesus said that all the time to religious people of his day. He said, you know the scriptures, you can quote them. The attitude of your life and the attitude of your heart never changes. You can quote it backwards and forwards. Some of them knew everything about the Old Testament. They could quote it, but Jesus said it's not changing your life. You know the word, you tithe, you do prayers, you make everybody believe that you're in touch with God. But you don't have love, you don't have grace. It really hasn't changed your life. For years in this district and many districts like it, we sit on a license and ordination committee and everyone who wants to be ordained in the CMA has to go through a two or two and a half year process and going through a lot of information. They finally get to the end product where they have an, a, a three or four, five, six hour test and then they have an exam in front of a lot of other pastors. For years... What we were finding is that a lot of these guys could answer all the questions. And they would answer them all mostly right. And so someone would put them through the process, ordain them and give them a church. And then they would go out and kill the church. Because they had no relational skills. They had no people skills. And what I kept saying when I got on the board, you can't just simply know that they know the information. And then send them out and let them destroy churches without finding out if they got all the other aspects that go with that. If all this information has translated into how they live their life and how they treat people and how they love. One of the purposes of the Word of God is revelation. It reveals the truth about God. It lets me know who God really is. That's one of the reasons you read the Word of God. I want to know who God is. I want to know what He's like. I want to know his tenderness. I want to know his judgment. I want to know both sides, as Justin shared this morning, all aspects of God. And the Word of God will reveal God to you. The Word of God also reveals the truth about me, as we'll see next Sunday morning. One of the other purposes of the Word of God is transformation, that by that revealed truth, what I found out about God and what I have now found out about me results in change, real, visible change that I can see that others can see. Paul was passionate about that transformation taking place when Justin quoted that scripture this morning from Romans 12. I, I'm begging you, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. No longer go this direction, but be totally transformed 
The ultimate end product of the revelation of God is transformation. One of the ultimate end products of what Justin, you are here, what Justin does on any Sunday morning is not just great music, but to usher us into the presence of God. You can hear great music anywhere. You can turn on a radio. You can plug into C, put in a CD. You can turn on Word on a weekend or K-Love if you have that. I wish somebody would boost up K-Love so I could hear it all the time. You can hear great music anywhere. It's more than just the, the opportunity to hear great music, but to usher us into the presence of Almighty God. The psalm says, I inhabit the praise of my people. I come, I show up. Sources, when I grew up a long time ago, we always had the invocation, inviting God in. Number one, as if he needed an invitation. But it is a way of acknowledging the fact that this is a place where God's going to dwell. And we want to do it that way. Justin's heart, Justin's passion is more than just great music. His incredible voice. Unbelievable talent. But his passion isn't to show us how good his talent is or how great his voice is. But to put us in a place where we know that we have been in the presence of God. One of my desires on Sunday morning is to communicate the word of God. And I really do want to do what 2 Timothy says. I want to study to show myself approved unto God. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of God. But my ultimate desire on a Sunday morning is not to give you more information. You have a lot of information. My desire on a Sunday morning is to go beyond information to a changed life. The transformation that what you're hearing is going to change my life. I really do want to do what I'm hearing I need to do. I just don't want more information. The ultimate objective is not more information about the Word of God, but by the Word of God be transformed. Peter's desire wasn't just to get people saved. So often we think that, as long as we've done that, I think sometimes the evangelical world has done a disservice at times to people when we just simply say, raise your hand, sign a card, you're in, you're done. That's the beginning stages. Peter's desire was way beyond just getting people saved, but that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's passion was they would be conformed to the likeness of his son. He said again in Galatians, I deal with this like the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's more than just information. It is transformation. James 1.22, don't merely listen and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Truth has to be fleshed out into your living. We can come every Sunday, hear the sermons, take the notes, maybe even get emotional. But if it doesn't affect my life, if it doesn't affect your life, it loses its ultimate purpose. For me, if I'm more concerned about how well I say it on Sunday than how well I do it on Monday, I've lost the essence of why I'm here. If I'm more concerned about how well I say it on Sunday than how well I do it on Monday, then I need to step down from the pulpit. Believe me, I'm concerned about how well I say it on Sunday. It's one of the driving forces of my life. Sometimes it's one of the things that drive me crazy. By, by Sunday night or early Monday morning somewhere, I am the worst preacher on God's planet. No matter how well it goes here, I just go in this downward trend. Should have done that, should have said this, shouldn't have said it that way, should have done that. I'm concerned about that, sometimes too concerned. Obviously, I'm working through that. I'm getting counseling. Thank you very much for <laughs> pointing that out. But if I'm more concerned about how well I say it than how well I do it, then I should step down. Hearing the truth is not the same as obeying the truth. We all know people who sit in a church, who tithe, who pray, 
who read their Bible even mark it all up. They avoid the big sins. They don't drink. They're married to the same person. They don't cheat or lie. But they're sour. They're cranky. They never seem to experience joy or exude joy. Which of all people on this planet, believers in Jesus Christ ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. And all the information, they got saved, but somehow it never affects their attitude. They never seem to grow in grace or take on the character of Christ. Now, I'm not saying it's got to be perfect. But so often we measure spirituality by externals. That I do come to church, that I do sing the songs, that I sit in the pew, that I read the Bible, that I pray, that I mark up my Bible, that I don't do the big sins. And all those are awesome. (laughs) What I'm saying is it has to go beyond that. So it affects my joy, it affects my lifestyle, it affects my attitude about life and about people and about relationships, about God, about the lost, as we'll see in two weeks. Just noticeably different by being transformed by the power of the Word of God. Ezekiel 33, a fascinating section of Scripture. A prophet from the Old Testament, and God comes and says this. As for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls at the doors of the houses, and they're saying to each other, hey, come on, hear the message that has come from the Lord. So my people come to you as they usually do. They sit before you. Does this sound like church or not? Fascinating. They sit before you. They listen to your words, but they don't put them into practice. With their mouths they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy. Indeed, they, to them you're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they don't put them into practice. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Anyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose up, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it didn't fall because he had his rock on a solid foundation. But everyone who hears the word of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain comes down, the streams rise up, the winds blow and beat against the house, and it falls with a great crash. A lot of people who look at a church from the outside determine whether or not they're going to come on the inside by watching the people who are on the inside going out. You get that? There's a lot of people on the outside of a church who determines whether or not they're going to come to church by watching the people on the inside and how they come out. They really are changed. They really do love Jesus. They really do love God. They do love people. There's a joy in them that I don't see other places. There's a passion for the Word of God or a passion to sing the songs of God. Whatever it is that they see, there's something about that that then wants to draw them in to a place where they can find truth and life. A lot of people show interest or show no interest in church by what they see in the people who attend. I mean, you've heard that. I don't go to that church. It's a bunch of, Christian, bunch of uh, hypocrites. Whatever the church it is they're describing, they're making a decision not by how well the preacher preached or how well the music went. They're making a decision about whether they'll go or not by the people inside the building as to whether or not all the information they're hearing Sunday after Sunday, week after week, year after year makes any difference or is changing their lives. If it makes no difference, they're probably not going to want to come. 
The joy of the Christian life comes when I apply what I'm hearing from the Word of God and see the difference that it makes. Once I know what forgiveness looks like, it makes me want to be what? A forgiving person. Once I really do honestly understand what forgiveness looks like, it makes me want to be a forgiving person. Once I really understand grace, it makes me want to what? Show grace. Once I really understand what it's like to be rescued and redeemed and set free, then I want to do everything I can to make sure that others find what I've found in Jesus. Once I really understand the joy of the Christian life and the joy of Christ, then the countenance of my life begins to change, and people recognize that. What makes you so happy? What makes you so joyful? It's not that I drink a lot of coffee or that they drink a lot of coffee. They love life. They love God. And it just comes out. Genuine revelation always has to result in transformation. If you want to do a great study, I do it every Christmas and Easter, usually somewhere between Christmas and Easter. I study the Gospels every single year. I, 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 I just want to watch the life of Jesus. I want to learn something maybe I didn't a year before. And so almost every single year, somewhere between Christmas and Easter, I'll read through the Gospels and just spend some time looking at Jesus. There are a number of fascinating things you'll find out about him, but the, the, the things that you will notice most about Jesus was not always what he said, is it? It's what he did. When Jesus said, I came for everyone, I came for the lowly, the least, and the lost, what did he do? He went with them. He went around them. He hung around them. He didn't just have some motto on a church sign that says we've got to reach as many as possible. He went out and actually did that. He didn't talk about doing evangelism. He did it. He didn't talk about ministering to the poor. A lot of churches do that. We've got to really minister to the poor. Here's ten bucks. Somebody take it to him. But he did it. He associated with people that no one else would have ever associated with. That was one of the attractions of Jesus. Is that he associated with people that others would have discarded. He not only talked about coming to serve and I'm a servant that I come to serve, but he actually did it. In John 13, one of the most amazing sections of Scripture, and John's the only one that reminds us of it and shares it with us. He said after the Last Supper, he took off his outer garment, put on a towel, got a basin filled with water and a towel, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. They had never in their lives seen a teacher do anything like that before. They were waiting for the servant to do that. Jesus said, that's me. He didn't just talk about serving, he actually did it. And then he finished by saying this, if now you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The beauty and attraction of Christ was that not only did he talk with powerful words, he lived it out. He walked the talk, which if you ever read any analogy of the book of James, that's what many will call it in its subtitle, walk in the talk. What made Jesus so attractive was not just what he said, but what he did. When you really come in contact with the truth, it not only confronts you, it not only challenges you, but it has to change you. It has to change me. Greatest response to the Word of God is not just quietly listening, but acting on what I now know. He is, or it is, asking me to do. What do you do when the Word of God 
challenges your thinking or confronts your lifestyle, James says, listen, but even more than that, be obedient. Let's pray. Our Father, your word is powerful and it is active. It looks me straight in the eye at times. Points out some attitudes that I need to change. Some attitudes that you want to reveal and deal with. So, Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus in these next few moments, in these next few weeks, as we spend a lot of time looking deeply into the mirror of God's Word, that it will speak, that we will hear, and we'll be obedient to what it is that we hear. But by your power in these next few moments, would you just come into this place by your Spirit and speak to us? Maybe there's a, a piece that we've been reading or something that's confronted us in the last couple of Sundays or... Is something your Spirit's saying about what we need to do based on what we're hearing and have heard from your Word. Would you please speak?